Welcome to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mandana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. Episode six, what's good, Ian? Love this energy. Right? Can you believe we've done five of these already? Uh, yeah, I can. I was there for all five of them. This has been quite a labor of love. You've you put in some late nights <laughs> on this uh, <laughs> podcast of yours. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it because I think we have helped a lot of people who otherwise were not getting Bitcoin. They didn't understand it or they just didn't have the time to look into it. And now they are, you know, downloading the Strike app and getting a Coinbase account. And <laughs> I have friends ready to throw all of their money in. So it's just been a, it's been a really, <laughs> it's been a wild ride. Uh, I'll keep saying it week after week. I think the most exciting part has been the questions that I've been getting from all of you because it's opening my eyes to the things that I haven't been thinking about, but they're very real world examples or applications of how you could use Bitcoin today right now. Do you have an example? <laughs> the most common question I get is how do you move money from one country to another? I mean, that's literally what Bitcoin's built for, right? I know, I know, but the actual how do you do it? So it's been really interesting. I will say that I don't think we're ever going to run out of something to talk about on this show. Yeah, no, there's there is more than enough information to distribute. Um, it's just a matter of the ordering. We're trying to put these episodes together in an order that you're actually learning and there's a process to the learning, um, not just throwing random facts and tidbits at you. Yeah. So. And while there are things that might be happening in real time when we air these episodes, I think it's important just to keep that in mind. So if we haven't talked about something yet... It's probably intentional, but of course we could be wrong. So keep in touch with us on our socials. Send us your questions through those accounts. Make sure right now that you're subscribed to the show. We are going to drop new episodes every Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. I want to be part of your morning commute. Ooh. I want us to talk about El Salvador. I have a lot of questions, but my understanding is that El Salvador now has Bitcoin as their official currency. Mm -hmm. I want to understand what that means. Like, how are these people in El Salvador now using Bitcoin every day, like money? How is that possible to do overnight? The reason why I was able to do be done what would appear to be overnight is because the Bitcoin payment network has existed for 13 years. Anybody in El Salvador could have been doing that from day one, but by making it legal tender in the country, they basically said that all of these institutions have to adopt it. Like you have to accept it if someone wants to pay you in Bitcoin. To enable that at like the state level, they needed to get a couple things worked out for the banks, but everything else was already already built. It wasn't like they had to go around and like build all this infrastructure. It was literally just like a software change. You just upgraded the software of El Salvador. So is it basically if a business was taking credit card, they can easily start taking Bitcoin? I mean, yes, technically, right? You have a point of sale 
system at a coffee shop. That's just the mechanism that they've chosen to use to like collect the money from you when you buy something. But if I can just show you a phone and you pay me like that, then all that equipment in front of me is no longer necessary. And that's what you see a lot of in like the videos of people paying for stuff in Bitcoin in El Salvador. It's like they're at Starbucks and the guy behind the register is just holding up a phone. I love how you think I've seen videos of people. Well, I'm, just... <laughs> I'm, I'm not on Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> I'm not saying you in particular. I'm saying like the proverbial you. Like if yeah. you do see a picture of someone yeah. that's spending Bitcoin in El Salvador, yeah, the that's... person who they're paying is usually holding up a phone. Right. That's how it was so easy. They just said, if you do that, it's legal. And if, you if you're a business, you have to now accept Bitcoin. If you're a business and someone wants to pay you in Bitcoin, you cannot say no. Uh, okay. So it's optional. It's optional for the consumer, which is why, for example, McDonald's and Starbucks, mm -hmm. two very well-known companies, now accept Bitcoin as payment in El Salvador. But McDonald's hasn't done that in America. Because they don't have to. Because in the United States, there's only one official currency. But why wouldn't they want to accept Bitcoin also? They operate within the framework of the United States. What basically McDonald's would be showing from a... Um, like a reporting mechanism, like if you had to report your books quarterly, all those Bitcoin transactions do not count as income because of the laws of the United States. So for McDonald's purposes, we don't want that headache. We just want dollars. But if paying in Bitcoin was legal tender tomorrow in the United States, yes, a lot of businesses would just switch over because it's easier. You don't need to buy all that equipment, all that equipment, right? Like you can run uh, or pay all those credit card fees. or pay all those credit card fees. There's a lot of things that you just don't need. So American companies that are in El Salvador and operating right now are experiencing Bitcoin. Yes. I've seen videos of people paying at McDonald's and I've seen videos of people paying at, let's say, Starbucks. So those are two pretty large American-based right. companies that are currently accepting Bitcoin as payment in El Salvador. And how did it come about that El Salvador is the first country where this happened? Were they really into Bitcoin? Were there a lot of Bitcoin miners in the country? Was there a movement of people demanding this? Technically, the, the current president of El Salvador, before he was president, was a big advocate of Bitcoin. And then he got elected. And was he elected because he was a big advocate for Bitcoin? I mean, officially, no. You could describe it as he officially was perceived as someone who could take the country in a better direction. It wasn't specifically because of his support of Bitcoin. But a lot of his ideas of how to take the country in a different direction came from his love of Bitcoin. So the ideas that he was presenting seemed really good to a lot of people, but they were basically like coming from the world of Bitcoin. Is he a Bitcoin millionaire? Do we know? We, I mean, we don't. When he got elected, one of the top three things he did was we should start our country down a path of making Bitcoin legal tender. That's where like he spoke at Bitcoin conference, um, which is the big conference that happens in Miami every year. And he kind of said that this is what we're going to do in El Salvador. The world media kind of was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Like six months later, they had passed the law and made it legal tender in El Salvador. That's amazing. What El Salvador had going for it that I think a lot of the world didn't know, unless you were really in the Bitcoin community, is that there was a town in El Salvador that had been operating off of Bitcoin, like 100% Bitcoin for years. Wow. It was like this, this little beach town. It's called Bitcoin Beach. Ooh. So like the, the experiment was already running in El Salvador, but it was a very small experiment. And he just kind of scaled that up to say, well... I'm in the Bitcoin space. I know that Bitcoin mm -hmm. Beach is happening in my country. 
Yeah. What happens if we take it national? Man, that's some like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's some smooth policy making. <laughs> and while pretty much nobody in the United States can make that claim of a town in the United States, there were a lot of people that wanted to do this, but no one like had anyone to really point to. Yeah. And you so need, they could. Someone has to be first. A governor in the United States couldn't point to Bitcoin Beach because that's a town in a country that we've been telling you is terrifying. Right. Mm -hmm. But when the president of that country scales it up, then you can point to a country and say, well, if it's working for a country, obviously it'll work for it can possibly work for us. A lot of things have happened since El Salvador, the president. What of, things have happened? It's showing how fast you can do this mm -hmm. intentionally. If your goal is, for example, you know, let's say Arizona, right? If Arizona really wants to make Bitcoin legal tender and have shops and everyone like have to accept it as payment, apparently it takes you as long as El Salvador did, which is less than a year. I think there's less argument to be made to say like, oh, how would this be done? We can't do it. The Bitcoin network is so easy to plug into. Once you plug in, it's like, oh yeah, why? We just really had to decide that we wanted to do it. it there's no like technological barrier of like, oh, we got to bring in these consultants and knows how to boot itself up, right? Like there are people in Arizona that are Bitcoiners that will gladly go show these businesses <laughs> how to set this up. Oh, I'm sure all right? of these Bitcoin enthusiasts just would love to... I think they would love a captive audience. <laughs> there's a captive audience part, right? But there's also like, there's a there's a town in the United States, I think it's in Colorado, where like the mayor is basically saying they're going to they're gonna convert the town over to a Bitcoin standard. They're going to store all the town's tax reserves in Bitcoin, not in like debased dollars, right? You know, like, it's, it makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of, there are a lot of towns or jurisdictions in America that really suffer. They're very impoverished and their states have left them behind. I think if there are people in local government who are Bitcoin enthusiasts, they would absolutely push that model for their locality because the U.S. dollar is doing nothing for them. There are these people here and there that understand what it could do, but not everyone is in the position to like, look over there. That's how they're doing it. Just go talk to them. Yeah. When the only example that existed before El Salvador was a tiny little beach town yeah. in El Salvador. So tell me about Bukele. That's his name, right? The president of El Salvador? Uh, yeah. Okay, tell me about him. I know that he is a millennial and I know that <laughs> I know that he's a like char a character on Twitter. Like he, he doesn't give a He's doing on Twitter what I feel like Donald Trump imagined he was doing on Twitter. I see. Right? Like, like owning people. <laughs> yeah, like he got into a Twitter beef with the American ambassador to El Salvador. Like the American ambassador to El Salvador <laughs> said some stuff about how he wasn't doing a good job or something like that with like crime. Oh, with crime, not Bitcoin. Well, just with crime, mm -hmm. right? Because it was the story was about like something about these drug dealers mm -hmm. and how he had some ties to them or was oh, treating them. Yeah, we don't have drug dealers in America. They put this statement out on Twitter and he pulled up like WhatsApp messages between him <laughs> and the United States. What the, like he pulled up the actual conversation that she was trying to reference it. and just was like, that's not, that's not what happened. He right? showed the receipts. He showed the receipts. That, that little incident was spliced in between basically like the IMF mm -hmm. encouraging mm -hmm. El Salvador not to switch over to Bitcoin. Then they did. And then that thing came out about him, the drug dealers and the ambassador mm -hmm. conversation. And that didn't work. His response was so damning that they just stopped talking. Right. Ooh. 
they went back to the, oh, the IMF saying that Bitcoin isn't really good for El Salvador. You guys should get out of this, Oh, this, this right? is so exciting. I can't, oh, I think it would be so exciting to live in a world where El Salvador was powerful. Yeah, I mean, El Salvador is kind of like this, this beacon of hope mm -hmm. in Central America right now and kind of around the world yeah. for Bitcoiners in general, right? There's a lot of hubbub going around on the internet that like there's another country that's about to do with El what El Salvador did mm -hmm. like really soon. What's the other country? Well, no one knows, uh -huh. but there's been some speculation that it's Honduras. It could be any country. I don't oh, want to explicitly so say yeah. that it's Honduras, right? But it's like all of these countries in Central America basically have the same setup as El Salvador. You know, they use what, the U.S. dollar. They use the U.S. dollar. They rely on American tourism. Mm -hmm. They're close to Mexico and America. Right? They're very close to these very large, they're not part of that economy. There was no NAFTA that included Honduras, mm -hmm. right? One of the ways that countries have been dealing with that problem over the past hundred years is they form their own little like monetary union. And you could say the European Union is like a big version of that. But there's like some African monetary mm -hmm. unions that are starting up. But those have to be negotiated with the central bankers, right? Like the central bankers sit down and decide how it's going to work. But there's like this new monetary union that pretty much anyone can join. El Salvador is showing you how to do it. A country can join it or an individual can join it. Or a city can join it. The idea of like it's if your country doesn't do it, you can't do it. Like all of that. Bitcoin is kind of eroding that concept of the state. And what you can and cannot do inside of the state. There are always scams in like new and emerging technology industries, um, which is why like a company like Coinbase is so important because they're a very legitimate business and you can trust that if you're using Coinbase that it's not a scam. Outside of the United States, there have been some incidents in the past couple of years. I think one was in like South Africa, an exchange just like disappeared overnight and took everyone's Bitcoin. Where you purchase the Bitcoin is important, but it's not as important as getting your Bitcoin off the exchange. Right. So right, right. when you convert it, get it right off. Right. And this goes to the question that I've been getting a lot is how do I move money out of a country? Do I need specific apps for the country that I'm in to be able to convert like that local currency into Bitcoin? The way it works for any country on the planet, there's got to be a, an exchange that sells Bitcoin legally within your country, right? Whatever country it may be. In America, there's a lot, right? There's Coinbase, there's Strike, there's all these things. Outside of the United States, there, there are other exchanges and I don't know the names of them, but as long as you can... How do you know it's an exchange and not a scam? Are there scam exchanges out there? Yes. So when you buy your Bitcoin, you want to get it off the exchange as soon as possible, sending it to a wallet that's like on their phone, mm -hmm. right? Because if it's a wallet that's on your phone, your phone at least has the keys. We've talked about keys, right? Like yeah, your phone has this. Yeah, we talked about this in episode three. Yeah, like your phone has the keys and now it's off the exchange and it's you control mm -hmm. it. Once you've done that, and technically even from the exchange itself, once you've converted your let's just say you're in Turkey because they're kind of having this problem right now. You're in Turkey and you convert all your lira to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. If you send that Bitcoin to a person that's outside of the country, you have sent money out of the country. It's gone. Yeah, it's, it's gone. done. The point that I'd like to stress about what I'm saying is that you can kind of figure out who it is. But if I'm sending it to a wallet, they don't know whose wallet that is. If you're sending it to a person that's not you, but that person that you're sending it to has sent money to that same location from another exchange that has KYC. Maybe the pers the exchange that you're sending from doesn't know who that wallet is, but the other exchange that mm. the other person sent money 
Bitcoin to not everyone will have all the information, mm -hmm. but all of these companies having these databases of people information and where they send their Bitcoin to. If you get all that data into a centralized place, you can figure out pretty much whatever you want. But governments haven't done that right now. Uh, they are doing it. Oh. <laughs> Right? Yeah, what am I saying? Of course they're doing it already. Like, they told us that they weren't reading all of our emails when they were reading all of our emails. Right? Fair that's, enough. Fair that's enough. That's what Edward Snowden <laughs> is all about, right? And the White House is about to put something out regulating crypto. So it's happening. Whatever regulations they write, once you migrate your wealth into Bitcoin, they really don't have any say. It's only like on a mutual agreement of the spirit of the law if you sell your Bitcoin for a gain, you pay capital gains on it. Okay, is if I sell it on one of those exchanges. What if I just go out in the street and sell it for cash? I give you two Bitcoin, you give me $100,000 in cash, yeah. right? Like what capital gains are we talking about here? There's the honor system, get out of here, <laughs> right? So for the people that are yeah. selling on the exchanges, yeah, they're gonna have trouble if they don't pay their taxes on those gains or whatever, but Bitcoin can be sold under the table just like cash. It's property. It's property. Property that you can't really tax unless they know that you have it. And that's what they're at right now. They're trying to know that you have it so they can treat it like land in Montana. So next time someone asks me, how do I move money? from one country to another, I would say, get on an exchange in that country, convert all of the dollars that you want into Bitcoin, and then immediately send it to a wallet. Yeah. Well, it's pretty exciting. I feel like I have butterflies because I'm ready to confidently explain to someone who asks me next how to move money from one country to another. Once you convert your dollars, euro, yen, whatever, once you convert to Bitcoin, you have moved that money out of the country. You're free. Like you're free to choose now if you want to convert that back into whatever currency that was. And you don't have to do that. And if you just hold on to it or you make a little more concerted effort to find places to spend it, you don't necessarily need to go back to that currency. That's what Bitcoin does. It frees you from it. You now have a choice again. It's like we're so oppressed that it takes Ian explaining it to us in like 18 different ways <laughs> to really understand that just convert it to Bitcoin. <laughs> That's the answer. Well, I'll say in the dating process, Bitcoin has me very intrigued and excited, and I cannot wait for a next date. Neither can Bitcoin. But that's enough dating for now. I want to get online and I want to chat with my friends about this Bitcoin that I'm getting to know. So remember, get on our social, share our clips, jump in on the Bitcoin banter, and let's all keep flirting with Bitcoin. Bitcoin.